The nail in the coffin! Welcome to The Nail. I'm Tom Valentino. He's Travis Uli. We are recording on Wednesday night. Trav, uh, I don't even know. You said you're in Indiana somewhere this week? Yeah, I'm road warrioring again tonight. Once again, venturing out from uh, stately Uli Manor. Uh, we yeah, are, you uh, got we're, it. <laughs> we're joined tonight by a certified friend of the show, David Zavak of uh, feartheSword.com. David, I know you were traveling over the last couple days uh, as well, right? You were down in uh, Austin? Yeah, I had a buddy uh, from up here in Toledo that moved down about eight years ago and met somebody down there and was getting married. So uh, kind of made a extra long weekend out of it. It was, uh, it was a good time. First time go. down there. That's a good town. Um, have they gotten the ride sharing situation squared away? Um, just in terms of explain yeah, that. Like, can, can you take an Uber or a Lyft down there? Because I was oh, in Austin. Yeah. It was it was just about two years ago. I think almost this week, maybe a l- little longer day. It was definitely February of a couple of years ago. I was down there, and the city was fighting with the ride sharing companies, and they had banned Uber and Lyft from operating there. So when I I discovered this when I got to the airport and tried to book a ride, and I ended up having to take a, a taxi, and I probably should have like waved him along and and gone with someone else because when I got in this car. Uh, the engine smelled like smoke and uh, the, the check engine light was on and we got on the freeway and um, uh, the car would not go faster than 50 miles an hour. And uh, when it got to 50, it started shaking violently and the other drivers on the road were not amused. And I was pretty well convinced. I think the drive only took about 15 or 20 minutes, but uh, it felt like about four and a half hours, and uh, there was uh, a point there. I thought there was a non-zero chance uh, that was going to be it for me. But uh, <laughs> Austin got a lot better after that uh, that that first ride. I got some good barbecue, and it all turned out well. But I'm glad yeah, to hear that I, it, you could take an Uber now. <laughs> you can get both of them. Um, and there we had like the big debate before we went was if we should rent a car or just Uber everywhere. And we ended up Ubering, Ubering everywhere, and it was fine. But then you kind of feel like you're kind of stuck sometimes or you're spending too much on the Ubers. So that's kind of like, it's almost like too many options. I guess that's, that's a classic, you know, uh, (laughs) first world problems type thing, but, uh, but yeah, no, there's, there's plenty of ride sharing. All right. Well, that's good to know. Well, David, the last time we had you on, the Cavs were getting ready for game one of the finals last spring. Uh, Safe to say things are just a little bit different now, but uh, with the all-star break wrapping up, and uh, the team getting back at it on Thursday night at home against the Suns. Figured this would be just about as good a time as any. Try to do a, take a little constructive look at the team and uh, maybe figure out uh, what we can learn over these uh, last uh, 24 or so games. Uh, let's start with this. Uh, you know, the NBA has obviously completely changed uh, the draft lottery. Uh, tr- try to discourage teams from tanking. Uh, I'm not sure it's actually doing that. Um, but I'm just kind of curious, where do you fall on this with regard to the Cavs? Uh, are you more on the side of piling up losses to try to improve your lottery odds? Or are you more in favor of playing your best guys to try to uh, evaluate some of the younger players on the roster and see what you got? Yeah, I um, I wrote um, back in 
July or basically maybe the day after LeBron left that the Cavs needed to tank. Um, and I think your sort of uh, um, observation that they've taken away, you know, some of the benefit of tanking, but it's, it still is the right sort of um, call just in terms of, of how you can possibly get better um, for a couple of reasons. But the, the first one that I would just explain is the Cavs do not have a top 20 player on the team. Um, they're not going to sign a top 20 player um, in free agency. Um, the only way they could trade for a top 20 player is by having a really high draft pick. The only way they could draft, so that's that's where it gets a little complicated. It is possible they could draft a top 20 player not in the top five of the draft. There's guys like Paul George, Giannis uh, Antetokounmpo, Kawhi Leonard that you can get later on. Um, but anybody who tells you that it's easier or it's no different to try and get a top 20 player with the 15th pick versus the third pick um, is just wrong. So um, if you want a top 20 player, the Cavs have to try and get a high draft pick. Um, why is tanking still an, uh, you know the right play, even though they've changed some of these rules? It used to be that the lottery would was just the top they just did the ping pong balls for the top three picks, which meant that if you had that the highest chance of winning and three teams jumped you every time they did the ping pong balls, the, the, the furthest you could fall is fourth. Uh, now they're doing it for the top five. So you can, um, you can have the, the best odds, um, but you can, now you can fall all the way down to sixth. But let's say you're the third or fourth. Now you can drop really far down. I mean, you can have the second or third worst um, record in the NBA and then end up with like the seventh or eighth draft pick. Um, So so they do need to lose games, um, and they've done a pretty good job of it this year. Um, But like you said, they've uh, would you know what are we looking for in the last 24 games? They've also been a little bit better over the last two or three weeks. So. Um, we'll see. I mean, I, I, you know, I think Tristan Thompson's like probably pretty healthy, but they're kind of holding him out. Um, because, you know, if they have Kevin Love and Tristan Thompson healthy, then some guys like Nuaba and Delhi and, and Sexton plays hard too. They got some guys who play hard. They're going to win some more games than maybe is, is best long-term. And by the way, um, just now update Zion Williamson just hurt his knee. No, no, no idea how seriously, but he just left the the Duke game tonight with a knee injury. So um, a lot of people are saying it's kind of a one-man draft, and if he's hurt, that, things get pretty crazy. So, Trev, let me ask you, did, did you have a strong feeling either way in terms of tank or not tank? Um, well, I got to say I, I love the fact that we're able to say there's a few guys on this team that play hard. Um, that's <laughs> encouraging, I guess. That might be the, um, the only eternal, thing you can say. <laughs> the eternal optimist over there. Uh, um, I don't know. I guess it's – I think tanking is, always carries this, like, negative connotation to it. If you just don't have very good players on your team, I don't necessarily know that it's a conscious decision to lose because I think 
every guy that goes out there and plays tries to win. I think it'll be more from a organizational standpoint, sort of like you said, um, guys like Tristan Thompson and might rest when, you know, he'd, he'd play other way, otherwise uh, games that, you know, for the most part don't really matter. If we're being totally honest though, um, and I think this was something we talked about probably pretty frequently with the Browns and whatnot, and I think it's sort of the opposite. Winning doesn't help you this year. It just doesn't. Um, so I guess it it sucks rooting for losses. <laughs> that's that's not fun as a fan. But you're not winning anything this year, and you know random wins in March and April don't do anything for you long term. So I guess that's a long way of saying I am, I guess, okay with with what we all consider tanking. I don't want to get too too much into the semantics of it, but David, you're a fear the sword buddy. Justin Rowan threw out an interesting theory to me on this uh, last week that um, basically it's it, it, there's only a, a few guys at the top of the draft, and if you're not in one of those top three or four positions, if you're anywhere from five to twelve, it almost doesn't matter. Um, and really, I, I think that kind of – I'm curious to know what you think about that, whether you agree with that. Um, and, and number two, I, I do think it kind of, you know, the, the whole thing with tanking this year, you know, it used to just be try to get the top spot. Now it almost seems like it's more about uh, insurance uh, of preventing how far you can fall. And, and does it matter how far you can fall? Um, is that 5 to 12 range of draft picks – going to be kind of a, a muddled uh, mess? Is it kind of wide open there or, or what do you see there? Yeah, I mean, I, I do. I a hundred percent agree with them. And I think that what you see really, frankly, after the top two guys, um, after Zion Williamson and John Morant, you've got some pretty big question marks. I mean, everybody wants to love RJ Barrett, but um, in terms of like efficiency, I don't think that he's been very good. Like if I'm just looking for skill sets, Cam Reddish, again, another Duke guy looks really good to me. Uh, he shoots the ball really well. He, he just looks the part. He's like a swingman that, you know, you think would be able to develop into a, a three and D plus guy where, you know, he's going to make those threes. He should be able to defend, but then he can, also handle the ball a little bit and um but there's also some andrew wiggins to him where he just doesn't play assertively um and even though he looks the part then you look down at the score sheet and you're like wait what did he what is what has he even done here um so there's kind of a lot of guys you know in that cam reddish range where um are there tools there yes um, is it a slam dunk? No. Um, and so, you know, yeah, I mean, the way I look, you know, the thing is people are always going to be able to say, oh, well, this guy drafted 11th, um, it ended up being really good. We could do that. You know, Paul George was drafted 13th and Kawhi Leonard was drafted 15th and that's fine. But like, and nobody's saying that you can't find players there. But if your argument is that 
there's no difference between the second pick and the seventh pick. Um, that, that, that just sort of defies logic and anything that I'm willing to accept. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it, it seems almost ridiculous to even like expect to win the lottery at this point, but, you know, you're just hoping for a non-disaster. So, um, even if it is a, a two person draft or even a, a one person draft, the higher you are, you know, at the end of the day, the, the better your odds are on finding a difference maker. The Cavs need a few of those. I've just kind of made peace with the fact that draft lottery night is going to be a miserable experience and just brace myself as best I can for it uh, in the meantime. But uh, we, we do have some games to, to get through before we get there. Um, so let's kind of shift gears and talk about some of these guys that are on the roster right now. And I want to start with the guy that was taken uh, in uh, the first round of last year's draft, Colin Sexton. Um, he's become kind of a target for some people on uh, Twitter uh, in certain pockets of the Cavs fan base. Um, although I do think he's played uh, better in, in recent weeks. Um, I, I'm kind of curious to know what you make of him because um, I personally – feel like uh, it, it's been really hard to evaluate him in the context of Kevin Love and Tristan Thompson, probably the two best players on the team, missing a ton of games this year. He had a coaching change six games into the season. Uh, J.R. Smith was exiled. Uh, Kyle Korver, George Hill, Rodney Hood traded. Um, given all of that that's going on around him, how, how much of a read can you really get on Colin Sexton to this point? And – from what you have seen, what do you think? That's all a hundred percent fair. Um, and, um, I'd probably be one of the ones who particularly out in the year were pretty negative. Um, I'm always just kind of negative about young players. Um, one of the things I, I sort of like to point out, um, is just, you know, even, even Philadelphia, right. So even the 76 or, or even look at the Celtics right now, these are teams like that are sort of built around young stars. So Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, uh, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, like that's fine. And it's great to, you know, sort of watch those players to develop, but you know, how often is a 23 year old, like a starter in an NBA finals, let alone like a difference maker. Right. So um, I just think like, I think young players in general, um, people sort of expect too much from. So sometimes when I'm negative about Colin Sexton, it's not that I don't like him or that I don't uh, like his game. I just, he's not going to be an impactful player on the court almost by definition because he was not a top three can't miss prospect and he is 19 years old. So like, you know, if you find a list of 19 year olds drafted outside of the top five that actually helped their team win, I just don't know what that list looks like. It's not very long. So um, I think he's really struggled throughout the year, but I, I think that's what people of his class do is struggle. And then you add losing your head coach two weeks into the season um, that didn't really want to be there. And then you have another head coach that comes in and like, did not want the job for a week. And then like basically had to be talked into saying that he liked being there 
by Cavs PR, you know, Larry Drew literally had to come out and say, actually, I do like my job. This is really kind of nice. Like three or four weeks ago, because he looked so beat down in press conferences afterwards. So um, it's been a disaster, right? And so it's not really supposed to go well for him anyway. Um, So that being said, I, I think over the last three weeks, we've seen some really nice steps forward. And until he gets stronger, until he gets in an NBA weight training program, um, until he sort of, you know, learns what defenses are giving him, he's not going to be really good. However, he's showing some signs that um, he does have, you know, some skills that he, you know, he's, 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 he's always sort of had this nice first step, right? Um, but he's actually finishing some drives. Um, he has had a nice mid-range game, but he hasn't been able to to, to sort of use that to help him become an efficient player. He, he's had some nice nights. So um, I'm certainly not burying him. Um, early on in the season, I was just looking for like signs of a good player. And frankly, they weren't easy to find. We might be getting to him now. All right, Trev, I'm going to bring you back in in a minute here. But first, David, I want to ask you, you, you mentioned Larry Drew. Um, you know, when the Browns fired Hugh Jackson, it was the same weekend as Ty Lue parted ways with the Cavs, you know, with the Browns, Greg Williams did a respectable enough job that he at least merited a discussion as to whether he should get the job permanently. And I think you hit the nail on the head. You know, nobody's making that case for Larry Drew. And uh, yeah, Larry Drew's not even making that case for Larry Drew. Um, So I'll, I'll ask you this. Is there anyone on this coaching staff likely to still be here next year um, or any assistance uh, with the potential to get promoted, or are we looking at a whole new staff? Um, that's a really good question. Um, the short answer is I'm not going to pretend to know, um, but the longer answer would be I, I hope not, right? Like I hope that whoever is brought in, both Dan Gilbert and Kobe Altman, are willing to let them build their own staff. Um, because I don't think in a way having Ty Lue under, you know, David Blatt, even though David Blatt would not have made that decision, um, it sort of by definition worked out because they ended up winning a title because having Ty Lue on staff was important. Um, but it did not, it was not a sort of a healthy environment when, when, um, when David Blatt was the coach. So I, 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 I really am a big fan of, of people staying in their lanes, which isn't to say that, you know, the Cavs analytics staff needs to be working with the coaching staff and the coaching staff needs to have, you know, an open door policy with, with the GM and the player personnel side. But um, I think that in terms of structuring a bench, structuring practice, structuring player development, whoever the next coaches should, should have the ability to, to, to do that. Trev, you and I kind of talked about the coaching situation. I think it was back when when the Cavs let Ty go. Um, anything changed for you on that front over the last couple of months from what we've seen and what you want out of a, a, whoever's going to be running this team next year? Um, not really. Uh, I think I'm probably in about the same place. It's, it's kind of funny because before LeBron came back, they hired David Blatt. And hire like that seems like it would make a lot of sense. Um, 
and not obviously not him specifically, but a hire like that, a guy who's maybe relatively unknown um, and, and can just sort of, you know, take a bad team and make them a, respectable, make, you know, teach them a lot of the things that, that quite frankly, the Cavs are just not good at. Um, I don't, honestly, I don't know enough about the NBA coaching pool to, to throw a name out there that would excite me or um, to bring up a guy that, you know, is maybe being rumored for the job. I don't know how any of that works, quite honestly. Um, but in, in all likelihood, I think it's probably going to be some guy that most of us um, have never heard of or a guy who, you know, maybe it's a guy we know as a player but not as a coach. All right. Let's shift back to the roster. Uh, David, you know, we were talking about Colin Sexton. The next guy I wanted to bring up is uh, Jetty Osmond. You know, I, I said it was kind of difficult to assess uh, Colin. I think in some respects it, you could say the same for Jetty, especially with all the injuries along the front line. I feel like there have been a lot of games this year where I've turned it on and he's guarding guys uh, a lot bigger than him. He's having to guard fours. Um, and kind of play out of position. Um, what do you make of the season he's had and just the increased responsibility and burden he's had to take on this year? Yeah, I mean, I, he should really – I think his ceiling is probably, a, you know, a 25-minute game energy guy off the bench, um, spot starter, Um you know, uh, again, kind of in that, that three and D mold, if he can get there, but, you know, maybe do a little bit of playmaking as well. And I think on the whole, you know, and, and it's with the same caveat to a certain extent as you have with, with Colin, um, he's been a lot better over the last month when he's been healthy. I think there have been times this year he was playing that he wasn't completely healthy um, and that hurt him a little bit. Um, but he's being asked to, like you said, he's being asked to do way too much. Um, he's handling the ball a lot more, um, than you would ever, you know, want to set him up for. Um, you know, like I said, I I think, you know, we were all sort of hoping his three point shot would develop and that, you know, he'd be able to get out and transition and that would kind of be what his offense was. Well, he's run the pick and roll. He's kind of found people, um, he's not a very good three-point shooter, but he's been willing to take them uh, versus you look at Colin Sexton's numbers and his three-point shooting's like fine, but he's just not taking them. So Chetty's playing a sort of smarter, more efficient game than Colin is, which you would expect because he's three or four years older. But um, they both, you know, Chetty is is absolutely, a, you know, a rotation player and that's more than, you know, given his age, that's, that's pretty good for what, what the Cavs have. It's easy to take a optimistic view on these guys, except for the fact that like the team came into the year saying, Oh, we, we planned for LeBron leaving. We wanted to make sure we had like a young core in place. You know, if you're looking at Chetty Osmond to be the third best player on a championship team, no, I'm sorry. I just don't, see that happening um but if you're content to see him sort of grow into being a nice role player kind of like what we did with tristan thompson um then he's been fine what are you hoping to see out of kevin love for the remainder of the year and then i guess i would ask the same question about tristan thompson 
Um, I want to see Kevin Love um, come back and actually sort of help Colin Sexton. I'd like to see them run a couple pick and rolls. I'd like to see um, what Colin does. My answer, you know, I know what Kevin Love is. We know what Kevin Love is. We've seen him in the the biggest possible moments. Um, We we know in in those situations his deficiencies, but we know his strengths as well. Um, I would like to see – you know, sort of what he can do to help uh, some of the young players around him grow. So um, I think his spacing would hopefully, you know, open up some room for Sexton, who a lot of times have been driving into nothing. Um, You know, if if he can help Jordan Clarkson look good or continue to look good, he's been sort of a bright spot this year, then maybe Clarkson has, you know, some more trade value this summer. So I don't, you know, I, I know, I know what Kevin Love is, uh, I like to see him stay healthy and, and help some of the young guys. Um, right. And you get a, a similar answer with Tristan. Okay. Trev, we're, we're going to see Kevin Love and Tristan in some of these games down the stretch. Does that move the needle for you at all as, you know, a fan watching the team? Or are you making uh, the Cavs any bit more uh, appointment viewing, I guess, over the, the next two two months or so? Um. I don't know. Honestly, that's a tough question. I think I'll probably echo what uh, David just said. I think you want to see those guys sort of, um, you know, showing the younger guys how to be pros and whatnot, right? Reinforcing those good habits and things like those. Those. I don't. I, I don't know that that really makes the Cavs any more fun to watch, though. Quite frankly. Um, so I'll, I'll catch a game here and there. Personally, I'll catch a game here and there, but. No, to answer your original question, no, it doesn't really move the needle for me one bit. I don't know. What do you think? I got to be honest. I'm, I'm, it helps me. I, I want to get reengaged. Like I've been following the team at an arm's length this year, um, you know, which is, I've been surprisingly okay with. I, I never thought I would get to that point this quickly, but I, I miss having like competent NBA players on the roster. And it's been a revolving door of 10 day contracts and, and two way contracts. And um, yeah, actually that, that kind of reminds me, David, what are your thoughts on the way the Cavs have managed the bottom of their roster this year? I feel like it's been kind of interesting with how many different guys they've given looks to and, you know, just throwing as many different things at the wall and seeing what sticks and, um, I don't know that anything has to this point, but just in theory, uh, what do you make of that approach? Uh, there are times that it's felt maybe a little too random. Um, maybe they're not giving guys um, enough of a, a leash or a long enough run to really figure out what they are or, or who they are or what they can be. Um, but at the same time, I'm not there at practice, and I don't know – you know, what, what skills guys have. And, um, a lot of the time, you know, I'll be honest, like, you know, you, you kind of watch these games for Sexton and Chetty and, um, you're kind of watching Jordan Clarkson run into a wall, but ultimately he's been pretty okay. Um, you know, it, it, it just seems like a lot of interchangeable parts to me. There really isn't anybody maybe until, you know, Marquise Chris, who just came in here, that really stands out in any meaningful way. Is that the Cavs fault because they're not giving them opportunities or is that just the players aren't very good? And so circle them in, you know, cycle them in, cycle them out. And, and you know, so I, 
Short answer is I don't know. Long answer is my feeling is it's not great. All right. Not that I'm expecting him to make any sort of a significant impact, but I'm going to ask this just because I go literal weeks at a time forgetting he's even on the roster. Is John Henson going to play a game in a Cavs uniform this year? No, I don't think so. Um, I think he was, I think he's completely ruled out. Um, Okay. So I don't know. I don't know if he's next year in a walk year. I believe that's the case. Um, so maybe, you know, he tries to get himself ready for camp next year. Um, maybe it's an expiring contract, the Cavs. Um, but, uh, no, I don't think he's a, a, frankly, not that interesting of a player moving forward. Um, I would rather just continue to give Zizic more looks if it, if it comes to that. All right. So the other thing I was going to ask you about that, and maybe not necessarily the bottom of the roster, but maybe some of those guys, um, elsewhere in the rotation, uh, Nawaba, Larry Nance, um, you know, some of those other uh, dudes that are getting minutes. Um, I, I know, and I agree with you in saying that there's no top 20 players, you know, top 20 NBA players on this roster right now, but, uh, and and you need those blue chip guys to win championships, obviously, but you need a supporting cast. Do you see, Anybody else on this roster that has long-term potential? Who are who are the guys that pique your interest the most as uh, players who you think uh, could develop and and stick around here for a few years uh, to the point where the Cavs are you know in the playoff mix again at least? I think what I feel best about is you know I, we talked about Chetty, but um, when Chetty and Larry Nance and Tristan have been healthy they've looked really good. Um, I think all three have had time this season where they were playing um, and they were not healthy, um, but they seem to be, um, you know, they seem to be playing pretty well. So, you know, we, we look back to last year, I think Tristan Thompson really struggled in the playoffs. Uh, I think he was hurt. I think he was worn down um, when he's been healthy. He's been pretty good this year. Uh, Larry Nance, same boat. Um Chetty Osman, you know, I think there have been really moments where he's really getting up and down the court and, and looks like he can be a player. I I do think they have, you know, a couple guys that seem like they are rotational pieces. Um, unfortunately, they're they're putting them in in tough spots, um, both, you know, and, and they're not anymore, right? Like at this point, I think Tristan's probably healthy and could come back. But um, for a while, they were putting some guys who – maybe shouldn't have been playing out there for, for whatever reason. Is there just kind of an understanding among the beat writers and the team when, when it comes to a guy like Tristan, like just don't bother asking. Cause I was kind of wondering about that where I feel like the, the team gave a projected timeline on his return and we quietly passed that mark and there's been no real update. And, you know, as you've theorized on here a couple times, uh, he probably is healthy enough that he could be playing right now. And they're just kind of quietly holding them out and everybody understands what the deal is. Is is that just one of those things where we all, it's just kind of a wink and a nod or, or, or what? Um, <laughs> uh, that's, that's a, that's a good question too. Um, I have never had a single issue with the Cavs 
uh, communication staff. They've always been um, extremely nice and open to me, um, uh, whether it's giving me access to interview David Griffin. Um, frankly, things that bloggers don't get to do for other teams a lot of times that, you know, I've, I've been able to do. Um, that being said, so, but, so I have a lot of respect for them. So that's, that's the preference. Uh, wow. What word am I trying to say? That's preface. That's the preface that I'm putting on this. Um, at the same time, um, going back to before LeBron came back, they try and run a very, very, very tight shift, uh, ship. Um, they, you know, they manage players' availability really tightly. Um, they will, you know, if it's a, a, a press conference specifically, they will call on you. So you sort of raise your hand and sometimes they don't call on you if, if they um, have a feeling that you're not going to ask something that they like. Now, um, players, you know, will talk to, to media members off to the side. Um, but my feeling is that if I went and covered a game and I asked, um, well, first of all, if, if guys are hurt, a lot of times they're just not available to the media at all. Um, but if I was at a game and I asked Tristan Thompson in a media availability, um, you know, when are you coming back? Um, the Cavs team would not like that. They would say, well, why didn't you ask us? And then if you said, well, okay, well then I'll, I'll ask you next time. Then you ask them and they'll say, uh, you know, go back to our, our previous comment. <laughs> <laughs> so you are sort of running in circles. Um, so I think actually a lot of the time that, you know, Joe Varden or somebody will um, sort of say like, oh, he's healthy enough to play right now. He's just not to, or if this was the playoffs, he'd be playing, but he's not. Um, oftentimes that info, I think actually comes from the agents of the player. Um, but teams are always super protective of that info. And I think part of it's a medical thing. Like, you know, people sort of have the right to have their, you know, issues with their body, you know, somewhat private. Um, but I also think the Cavs are, are just sort of notoriously, um, uh, tough to pin down on things like that. That's an interesting answer, and and I appreciate you opening up on that. And to be clear, I'm not saying that the Cavs are um, uh, being malicious in any way. I, I do think, for the reasons you outlined earlier, it makes sense to not necessarily be running Tristan out there as quickly as possible uh, in a season when you're going to be losing 55-plus uh, games. Um, but I guess it is, it is what it is at this point. Um, well, and, uh, and I'll give you the reason why the Cavs do it. Um, it's to have a competitive advantage, right? So like, um, back when this mattered, like before LeBron came back, the reason why the Cavs kept, ran such a tight ship and, and sort of limited access was to try and make people like Kyrie, uh, happy. So like, for example, um, you know, Cleveland can't offer what New York City can offer in terms of a nightlife. But um, if you go to New York City, the media is going to be, there's just an expectation that you are available more often. The questions are going to be harder um, because just the media scene is bigger. So if you're the Cavs or you're Milwaukee or you're 
I think Oklahoma City is actually like the number one example of this. Yeah, that was um, the one I was thinking of as soon as um, you brought that up. But then also the <laughs> the Warriors do it too, right? Um, but like that, they're sort of they sort of go to their players and say, we're going to protect you. Like don't answer questions. If you don't want to like refer, refer them back to the organization, if you would rather do that. Um, and it's a way that they can build some, some trust or goodwill with um, a player um, in a market that might need a little bit more help. All right. Trev, what else is on your mind regarding the Cavs? All right, so I'll be honest. I have not watched a whole lot of Cleveland Cavaliers basketball this season. <laughs> if if I'm someone who says, you know what, I haven't watched a season to, to date, I've kind of had them on the back burner while other things are going on. But like you just said, Tino, you're going to be a little more interested now. What sort of things should I look at? Like who should I – obviously, I feel like the three guys that you've mentioned already that are kind of worth watching are uh, Zizic Jetty and Sexton. My biggest question is kind of what do we think their ceiling is? Because I wasn't super optimistic or, or um, I, I didn't love the Sexton pick right off the bat because I think he's got a fairly low ceiling. But what, like, what do we think those guys can be and what do you want to see from them the rest of the way to see if, you know, obviously it would be a fairly small sample size. But if those are guys that we're expecting to be contributors for the for the future what do we want to see from them really uh colin sexton um i think has to tighten his handle a little bit um i think that if he was taking the right shots the the smart basketball shots his percentages would go down a bit um he is only taking shots that he is extremely comfortable taking um, which sounds good and it is to a certain extent, but like a lot of those are mid-range jump shots and he needs to realize that the reason why those are so comfortable is because the other team is not guarding them because they want him to take mid-range jump shots. So, um, you know, it it's, it's not easy to have the shot selection that James Harden does, which is darn near perfect where he's either taking a three or he's driving to the basket and still maintain really good shooting percentages. So uh, for me, I need to see Colin um, tighten his handle a little bit um, just beyond being, you know, an athletic kid. And I need to see him make some shots in a more efficient manner. Um, What his ceiling is, you know, I think he's athletic enough that you can – you know, you can make a case that he gets to be the second or third best player on a, on a really good team just based on his age and uh, the fact that he still needs to grow into his body a little bit. Um, but um, I really, you know, if, if I'm just looking at the way that he plays, um, he reminds me a lot of, of Deion Waiters um, where he can get by you off that first dribble, but then um, you know, uh, then what, um, because it just not really finishing at the rim. Um, not what the difference is, I think, uh, Dion actually maybe had, um, better court vision was a better passer. Uh, but where Colin has the edge is I just think he's, um, you know, got to phrase this the right way. Uh, I think Colin is, is just, 
um, because I don't, I don't want to, he does not, Colin has, mm, I'm sorry, guys. Uh, I'm trying not to be really <laughs> rough on Dion Waiters, I guess is what I'm saying, but I like the head on, on Colin's shoulders a little bit more than Dion's. You know, Colin, I think if he had a Zion Williamson on the team, you're not going to have to convince Colin Sexton that, that Zion's a better player than him, right? Well, Dion didn't think that Kyrie was better than him. And like, I'm really sorry, Dion, but it is right. So I, I think it's more likely that Colin Sexton can coexist with other good players than I think Dion Waiters ever, you know, was, was willing or able to do. Um, I, I can assure you that Dion Waiters is not listening to the nail in the coffin. <laughs> so you're, you're probably you never know. On that one. You never <laughs> know. I can't say for sure, but it's an educated guess. Um, all right. Good stuff. Uh, David, before we let you get out of here, you've got a new podcasting venture of your own going. Why don't you tell us about that? Yeah, with, uh, you know, I ran Fear the Sword for a long time. Now it's uh, headed by Chris Manning, but I'm still over there. Um, so he is is sort of heading it up. But uh, he and I uh, are, have a, a podcast uh, going uh, the bottom um, and it should be at least weekly, maybe a couple times a week. I think we're going to record tonight as well. Um, you know, just all things calves, uh, all things draft. Um, so it's through Fear the Sword, but it's called The Bottom. Uh, I think you can find it on on iTunes and and all of the the normal places people find their iPod, uh, you know, their 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 podcasts. Um, so give us a listen. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll get you ready for the NBA draft and we'll, we'll have more talk like this about um, Colin and Kevin and Tristan and, and Chetty. Good stuff, man. Well, we will let you get running over there so you can uh, pull the double header this, this evening. Uh, appreciate you making some time for us, though. Always good to catch up. Hey, Tom, you're one of the best. Thanks. All right. Uh, as for us, we are on Apple Podcasts. Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and the TuneIn app. And uh, if you're listening on any of those apps, don't be afraid to hit that subscribe button. And for you Apple Podcast listeners especially, take two seconds and uh, rate us in the podcast app. We're also on waitingfornextyear.com, and our Facebook page is facebook.com slash thenailpodcast. Our thanks again to David Zavak of Fear the Sword. That'll do it for us for this week. For Travis Shuley, I'm Tom Valentino. It's been the nail in the coffin, and we'll talk to you again soon. Hey there, and welcome to the Joy of Paddle podcast, hosted by me, Minter Dial, a veteran of the paddle tennis world, and sponsored by Paddle 1969. Whether you're a paddle tennis aficionado, just beginning or have never even heard of paddle or padel as it's called in North America. This is an exhilarating new show that delves into the captivating stories of notable paddle personalities worldwide. In its inaugural season, you'll be treated to exclusive anecdotes, valuable tips, life lessons, and humorous moments shared by esteemed professional paddle players, industry insiders, and passionate paddle enthusiasts. With each season aligning with the pro tour, you can anticipate two engaging episodes per month. The Joy of Paddle Podcast is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. 
where you can find other great shows in a number of categories, such as sports, health and wellness, true crime, and fiction. To find out more about Evergreen Podcasts, go to www.evergreenpodcast.com. Vamos! Vamos! 